You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. News team, assemble! And bigger than ever, it's the unofficial 40 from Soonerscoop.com. Now, here's the entire Soonerscoop crew, Carrie, Josh, Eddie, and Bob. All right, welcome back. It's another edition of the unofficial 40 podcast. Uh, the entire crew minus one is here this week. Josh McQuistion, Eddie Radosevich, Carrie Murdoch. Bob Prisbillo has been suspended uh, after his uh, outburst last week, Isaiah Thomas filed a grievance with the union, and uh, so we're we're giving Bob a one-game punishment. Uh, and uh, well, we don't pay him, so we won't cut his salary. But uh, welcome in, Josh. Welcome in, Eddie. How you guys doing this week? How's quarantine treating you, or how is opening back up the state treating you? I should say, Eddie. Uh, I would say that it's gone pretty well. I haven't really been doing a whole lot. I, you know, I certainly didn't run out to Kong's last night to, uh, I saw stand that. Shoulder to shoulder that is with everybody, unbelievable. I mean, I'm all for opening the state back up. I think everybody is. I'm all for even restaurants opening back up. Uh, I don't find a reason to usually drink on a Tuesday night, whether it be Cinco de Mayo or not. So I, I found that a little strange, but, uh, we move onward. So uh, doing well, using the crock pot to its fullest capabilities. Ooh. I did chicken again last night, made more tacos. Uh, I can report that I have perfected that. And um, it's been it's been pretty good. And I, I feel like we are starting to kind of turn the corner as far as tone goes in this country uh, with everything that's going on. I, I can see sports uh, maybe around the bend, if you will. I don't know that I can see – still, I can't see fans in the stands. I don't know. I haven't watched any of this Korean baseball stuff yet, and I don't know. I'm not getting up at 1 a.m. to do it. Uh, but, like, the stuff I saw today about the, the meat plant in Missouri where they tested, like, 1,600 people and almost 400 had it, and they were all asymptomatic. Like, to me, that's really bad for sports, for people to hoping to watch sports. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have actually, I, I caught a little bit of the game this morning just because it was on at uh, 4.30. I caught it like middle of the fifth inning, but uh, it's just weird when they pan up to the crowd and stuff. And uh, it's kind of funny, you know, obviously there's no fans in the stands, but it's kind of funny that they have like uh, these Korean baseball teams have like cheerleaders in the stands. Cause they're, it's basically like a party. In I the saw stands. you tweeting about that. Yeah. It's pretty goddamn funny. Uh, just seeing these like people like cheering, like turning to the crowd to cheer them on, and there's nobody there. Uh, so it, it, that's been enjoyable. But I mean, any baseballs, I guess what I'll take right now. It, I don't know if it's the best baseball. I did see like the one of the starting pitchers for the team yesterday was actually from Tulsa Union. Hmm. So kind of a small world type thing. And I, I, Dan Straley is a name 
uh, that has been in, in Major League Baseball. Uh, he's one of the starters for another one of those teams. So it'll be kind of interesting, but uh, I don't know. What's, what's going on in Houston, Josh? Uh, guys, I mean, you know, I, I feel a little judged by Eddie. Uh, Tiffany and I definitely partook in some Cinco de Mayo alcohol last night. We enjoyed some margaritas. But we did order out, That's pick up, you know, the whole That's thing. That's not the problem. Yeah. It's, it's going to a bar and standing shoulder yeah. to shoulder with people. Yeah, there was uh, the place I went, the Mexican restaurant we ordered from, um, they've got a big, like, upstairs and downstairs patio. And they, I don't know what the rules are on this. Like, I don't know if it's open air. You just kind of get to do whatever the hell you want. But that didn't look 25% to me at all, um, to my eyes. And then their bar was open. And, like, it's enclosed, you know, like it's a glassed-in bar. Kind of, It was kind of a setup almost like a Buffalo Wild Wings, except outside the bar area is, you know, um, uh, is open air. So it was kind of an interesting setup. But, no, uh I you know we had a we we enjoyed it. it it's been good I you know I think everybody has learned I don't know if learned but has kind of accepted like it's okay to live a little differently like we you know it, instead of going into Target and walking around with all four of us like we'll we pretty much will order ahead anything we're gonna go get and then just go pick it up because it's just simpler I mean like why why bother not doing that it's not like you're getting charged a fee or anything just go let them pick it up for you it's fine. And yeah, I, like I said, I think that's that's one of those things that people don't realize how automated they can be if they want to be. There's no doubt. And I, I think I told you guys, and I wasn't joking, the curbside pickup when they come out to your car, if every place in the world had that, I think we'd be much better off. I, I think that is the way to do that type of service. I did that all the time at Chili's before all this stuff started. Sure. And there's, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Charleston's does it here in Oklahoma City as well. You give them, you know, what kind of car you have, and they come out. And I have no problem. I don't know about you guys, but like I would have no problem tipping somebody extra on a meal if they brought it out, as opposed to me having to go inside to get it. Is that the most laziest thing uh, that you have ever heard, or is that a accurate and fair assessment? I oh, no, I, totally I, agree. I have been over tipping during this time. Like uh, when I do Instacart sure. stuff, like sure. I make sure I pay. Like the recommended tipping is shit on that thing. Like if I'm gonna pay someone to go get my groceries and I'm not doing it, I at least you. I think you at least need to pay them fifteen dollars. You know, guys, I, I think you're always more lenient to, like, jobs you have done or can relate to. I never waited tables, but Tiffany did. And so Tiffany's always been, like, unless they're shitty, you give them 20%. And so now, so we've always done 20. And now, like, I mean, we're, you know, we're going to pretty far extremes. Just because, I mean, like, on Saturday morning, we went out for the first time and actually sat in somewhere and had a breakfast. We went to the breakfast place I've always taken the girls to since like Laney was six months old. Like we would go in there every Friday morning and have breakfast. And I went back there on Saturday morning. Um, and it was like, they had done 25%. Like it was real limited and, you know, but they, you know, they knew me. So we got a table at the breakfast spot. That's, you know, $8 a plate. I'm very fancy. Um, very good fellas ish. But, um, you know, it, it was, that was probably the most interesting thing and just kind of looking around and seeing how people were taking it. Um, but the biggest thing I noticed going out now is the mask. I mean, it used to be like, oh, that's the outlier. And now, like, it's it's becoming where it's the, the far more of the norm. That was my uh, 
fight me post on the board this week, the mask. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to leave you down I, this road. So I do you guys own masks? Because I have I, I have I haven't worn a mask out. I haven't worn one. It's not because I'm opposed to it. It's not because I think it's taking my liberties away. It's two things. One, I don't have one. And B, I just haven't felt the I I guess I've social I feel like I've socially distanced enough that I'm not going into uh, you know, homeland or a restaurant to eat or wherever. Now, maybe moving forward, I probably will think about it here. We fought about this on the board, and it's because, you know, the city of Stillwater made a, 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 a I don't know what you call it, not a law, but a proclamation or whatever that masks will be worn uh, when you're out shopping. And uh, someone threatened a store clerk or something with, with gun violence over the mask, and so they dropped it. And we just saw somebody in Michigan, you know, kill the security guard. Uh, yeah, that's that shit's insane. Like, in fact, I would even say, Carrie, like, for that that situation uh, specifically, like, don't even need a trial. Just just go ahead and kill those people too. Yeah, just like those two guys that shot that guy running. Did you see that shit? That's that's, that's that insane. is insane. That's that's like, straight I've watched, up. I watched that a couple times more than Mississippi like burning admit. type shit right there. Just because I didn't know what I was like, was I missing something? And I definitely don't think I was. Yeah, I'm with you, Eddie. I kept thinking I was going to find some subtext that was like, oh, well, that changes it a little bit. And I swear to God, every time I watch it, like this just gets worse. Like th- yeah. it gets worse every time. Like, I watch. why is the guy standing up in the back of the truck? Like that's so weird. Well, the I mean, you know, he was. Just, that- it, it makes me. It. I don't say it very often, but that kind of stuff actually made my my skin crawl a little yeah. bit. Just. It's just. Disgusting. I think I've watched it twice, and that's all I could really take because I didn't know. Like I'm like you. I didn't know what I was seeing the first time, and so I went back to see, like, because he comes up on them, and they're just waiting on him. Yep. It's just strange, man. So, well, but who's, sad. who's but, shooting this? Who who was the camera person? Yeah, that's what I wondered, that, too. Like, that whole thing is weird. Like, I, I mean, if it's someone concerned about him, you weren't that f***ing concerned. And if you were, and if it's someone that was party to them, why did you let that video get out? Like, it doesn't make any sense on any level. Yeah, I think it was somebody that just kind of came up on it, probably yeah. saw what was happening. There's there's probably some stuff that happened. Before. I don't know if the kid just kept running and they were trying to chase him down or harassing him or what. But, yeah, I mean, the, the problem – anyway, I don't want to get too far into that. Yeah. I, I was just making the point that people losing their shit over wearing a mask or not, I just – I I think it's – I, I think you're just a selfish asshole, really. And, you know, yeah. it got into all kinds of debates about, well, some people have a medical condition. They can't be wearing a mask. And, I'm, and I think I thought like everybody else, well, those people shouldn't be out. If you can't even if you have a medical condition that prevents you from wearing a mask, don't go out right now. I mean, do everything you can to stay at. Keep those people at home. Yeah. So and th- and that's not making up 40 percent of the population. Like I would say, if you go out, it's about six and ten probably have a mask on. And that's the thing I see this whole time. I have just been fighting for what gets us back to as close to normal as we can be. And if if normal is now wearing a mask when you go to a sporting event or when you go. And by the way, Eddie, I have some N95 masks. If you want one, I will give it to you. Um, But like if I'm going to go to Lowe's or something, I'm wearing a mask. Now, when I go to the 7-Eleven down the street just to pick up, you know, a bag of ice or something. 
I just go in real quick, get it. I don't put the mask on and all that stuff um, because it's just a really quick trip. So if you see me out and I'm not wearing a mask, it's at a 7-Eleven. It's on the corner of Rock Creek and, and Porter. So um, And because I'm, and because I'm weird like this, like, I lives. get really, uh, I'm like kind of, it, it's really in my brain that I'm not wearing one when I'm out and about, like I need to make my purchases as quickly as possible. So I'm not seen by somebody is how I kind of think about it. Like you don't want to be non mask shamed. Like yes, have somebody call into the show. I, I'm 100% in support of the idea. I am too. Yeah. I just, it, just, it, it makes me feel really strange, but um, yeah. Did you guys see that picture that I sent you from Georgia tech and how eerie is that? The one that Tony Barnhart had tweeted out or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, that is insane. Yeah. That's probably, uh, if, if fans are going to be in the stands, that's probably what things will look like. I agree. Yeah, I, I, I think, think right. I'll tell you what's going to be hilarious are the people that just, oh, I, I, you'll never catch me wearing a mask. I won't do it. Tweet it out, blah, blah, blah. And how much they're going to have to back that backtrack that when schools are like, hey, you, you can't come in here without a mask. Like, you, you've going to have to wear a mask if you want to attend the football game. And they're like, well, I mean, I love my Sooners, so I'm going to have to, you know, I mean, not just OU fans, but just. Oh, you want me I to mean, wear, wear a mask? A, I'm going to march on the Capitol with an AK-47. It, I mean, you know, because that's something you don't do in a mask. You definitely <laughs> don't walk around an AK-47 with a mask on. No, I mean, it's, it's, like I said, this is all to get us back going again. That's what we need. We all want that. I mean, we, don't, we don't want the economy to suck. We don't want there to be 20 million people unemployed. Like we want to get it back. And you know, I fear for restaurants and all that stuff. Ground. Yeah. I mean, and I, I do think it's time and I'm not going to be one of these people. Like, you know, some people are going to have to die. Like I no, I it's, just don't say that. Don't say that publicly. Like you can say we need to find a way to get back on track, but just, you can leave out that it's acceptable for people to die. Like it's, you can't say that out loud. I'm sorry, Chris Christie. Exactly. You can't. I think we all realize it's it's going to happen because of, I mean, it's just, it's it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. Like, it just is. But at the same time, you don't need to verbalize that. Like, just, just leave that out. That, that's, it's. And I, I also mean, like think I said, if you're not healthy, do things to get yourself healthy. Eat better, exercise, get your shit in, in order. And that's what I'm trying to do. I mean. It's like if you think you're at risk, do everything you can not to be at risk. If that means, you know, just being in shape, get in shape. It's time. So it's I yeah, I mean it's just I want to see us get back to normal. I am I am for reopening thing. I'm not trying to spread any fear attack. I've never was. I just wanted people to do what it what needed to be done to move us forward. And I think I think it's time. I think it's time just to go. And, and you know, if we have to scale back and it gets really bad, fine. But this whole thing about, you know, these, these meat plants and stuff, that really, I don't want to say scares me, but it really changes my opinion of things. Like, if that many people can have it and not have any kind of symptoms from it, like, how bad is this thing? Sure. And that I, I, I agree, Carrie. Like, I feel the, the good thing is I feel like the more data that comes out, I'm less scared than I was. Before. I mean, scared. I, I think we all know I, I'll own how I started this whole conversation over a month ago. Like, we, <laughs> we know where I'm coming from. 
Yeah, I'm defending you, word. kind of. Yeah, yeah, but like I, I, I feel like it's come around to a level where you're like, okay, this is bad. It's dangerous for some, that sort of thing. That's great, but there's a lot of us who either probably have had it or will have it, and we'll never know. And that's and that's going to be okay. Like we're we're gonna we're gonna come out the other side of that. But you know, to kind of pivot so we can get to something that people actually want to listen to us talk about. I agree with Eddie. Like for the first time in a while. It feels like the conversation about sports is no longer if we'll have sports, it's when we'll have sports. Like, when is this going to happen? When are they going to kind of start opening things back up? And it sounds like, you know, uh, especially, you know, cities that we, you know, the uh, three of us live in, NBA basketball in some form is kind of starting to become a possibility again. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, I think we're seeing that here locally with Oklahoma City, with obviously with the Thunder and, uh, you know, Carrie, I think that we saw last night that uh, who was it? Mark Stein reported that uh, the some most facilities are going to be open. I don't know what the Thunder's plan is. I think we'll probably hear a little bit more about that today or tomorrow on Thursday uh, about their plan in reopening the practice facility in Oklahoma City. But it does seem like there's a very good chance that we're going to get basketball, which, you know, kind of uh, I think will go hand in hand with Major League Baseball, which kind of goes in hand with NASCAR that's going to get going in uh, May 17th in Darlington and then obviously the PGA Tour. So um, it's going to be very interesting. And you know what I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see is somebody's going to get sick in one of these leagues. I think that's just a matter of, of mm-hmm. happening, not if but when. And how these leagues respond to that is going to be very telling, I think, for what we see as far as colleges do. Well, and here's the thing, too, and this is this is why the, the meatpacking plant thing scares me. Let's say the NBA gets ready to start their season. Everyone gets tested, and 20 players are test positive, but they're asymptomatic. I mean, it could be like everybody's like, well, what if Kevin Durant came back for the playoffs as, as, you know, because the Nets are a seven seed? Like, sure. well, what if, what if someone not – I guess Kevin Durant's already had it. Um but like Kevin Durant's got that shit and giving it to people. Let's just be real. Yeah. Who Kevin but let's Durant say is. Kawhi Leonard has it and he's Aether asymptomatic. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's say Kawhi Leonard test positive, but he's asymptomatic. Like he can't play. I mean, you just have to, you have to decide at the beginning of the playoffs. Like there's going to be some teams that have key players that somewhere along the line are going to test positive. And it's 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 almost it's like a, a you know it's 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 a game of chance a little bit like not only who has the best lineup but who has the best lineup that doesn't have COVID nineteen. Oh yeah, I mean, because you've got to have it cleared in two weeks. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, like you could be out of a series before you could ever come back. I mean, there there's there's no doubt that it, it's going to be a weird playoffs, and it, it also makes you wonder. Like, think about. Arguably the two best teams in the league, the Clippers and the Lakers. When is California going to be cleared? To I mean it, that that's the one thing yeah. that doesn't look like it's anywhere yeah. near close to ready for any of what we're experiencing. So um, that like, do they not take part? I, I don't, or do they move to you know I don't know Utah and set up you know operations somewhere there in Utah or whatever state they end up in and just kind of work out of there for the next six months or whatever. I, I don't know how that'll work, but it's interesting. And, I mean, the truth of the matter is, if Kawhi Leonard had it, 
and he kept playing, I doubt anybody would die because these NBA players are in such good shape. But I mean, it could happen. But I don't know. I I I, I don't think the I don't think any league is going to say, well, everybody might get it, but we're going to play anyway. Like I can't see anybody doing that. I just wonder, like, does one person shut it all down, or does one person test positive, get removed, and they play on? That's the question. I don't think we've had we have an answer to. Yeah, and I and then I think in even a bigger picture, it's kind of the uh, more specific I think movement this week or flavor of the week for sport for college football this week as far as what happens. And I think that this is going to happen. I, I think we're headed down this direction that schools in the South are going to be ready to play football by August, just to throw a, m- a month out there. What happens when the SEC and you know, I would say a really good portion of the Big 12 probably could be lumped in this, maybe even the ACC. What happens when all these conferences say, we're ready to go, but you have somebody out on the West Coast not ready as far as, uh, you know, a Cal or a, a Stanford or somebody like that, just to throw out a, I'm trying to think of just a, a hugely liberal school. But Well, yeah, uh, and if sports are shut down in California just by the state, like, the, yeah. can teams practice? That's the other thing. Like, can Cal well, and Stanford I, practice? I did see I did see that they're, I think they're in what Gavin Newsom is calling uh, stage two. I think sports full return is stage four. Now, how they're already in stage two, does that mean that they could get to stage four by, uh, you know, August or in a couple months, maybe, possibly? But I don't know. I mean, I think that they're, now you're really getting into some of the bigger questions just as far as, these conferences are going to have to be ready, and I think that they are. I mean, it's not like they're not asking these same questions, but there's going to have to be some tough decisions and probably some uh, some people are going to get pissed off about how this is going, I would think. Well, I do like how Bob Bowlesby, he was on SiriusXM, uh, and it was after the SEC came out and said, well, we're going to play football. It doesn't matter what you're going to do. And he kind of slammed the door on him like, Hey, dickheads, we all need to be in this together. And and we, we're all going to play by the same set of rules. Which is the most aggressive Bob Bowlesby has ever been, I think. It's kind of needed, though, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, that's the kind of leadership this conference has been, honestly, looking for for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, this is a conference that's kind of... Well, I mean, be, let's be honest... They've had their tail between their legs for a long time. Sure. They need to strut. We Not need Bob Bowlesby to become a murder hornet. <laughs> By the way, I watched the guy. Uh, his name is Coyote Thompson, I think. He does these videos Peterson. where he travels. Coyote Peterson, that's it. Yep. Do you know these Laney videos? Loves, Laney loves him. Really? Oh yeah. He travels the world and lets things sting him. Scorpions, hornets, and he did the murder hornet. It was fucking terrifying. Was it? His arms swelled up like he had been bitten by a rattlesnake. God. He, he started out doing just like animal shows. Like he'd go and visit like a wolf conserva- conservatory or something like, you know, like stuff like that. And then it like there was a few like oh I got bit by this I got I got bit by the the bullet ant or I got bit you know like this kind of stuff, 
And then all of a sudden, it like now it seems like almost everything he does is like I got bit by something awful. And <laughs> you're just like, uh, like the other day, Laney was watching him, and Layla was in the room too. Is what you know? It was last week the girls were still at home with me, and Laney turns it on. I'm like, sure, you know. I mean, he's kind of been deemed safe, and so all of a sudden I hear him yell. And his arm is, like, swelling up. I'm like, oh, Jesus. And my daughters are both watching it. And, like, Lainey's – Layla's too young to process it. And Layla's – Lainey's like, this scares me a little bit. I'm like, yeah, all right, we're going to change the channel. Later. I don't know if you can hear so, this. I don't know if you can hear this, Josh or Eddie. Let me just try this real quick. I'm Coyote Peterson, and I'm about to enter the sting zone with the Japanese giant hornet. One, two, here we go. Three. Ah! Oh, this thing stuck in my arm. Ah! How bad is it? Oh man, wave of dizziness really quick. Ah! Oh! Oh, searing pain. Absolute searing pain. There's where the stinger went in right there. Did you not see how slow this thing was? Oh! I see blood. Ah! That's bad. Yeah. Now, I think he is possibly a Shakespearean level dramatic <laughs> actor. But uh, you can't deny the way his no. arm swelled up, it was yes. it was horrific. Oh, I mean, he let like a like a small crocodile bite him at one point. Like he's let a lot of crazy shit bite him. Um I'm like, dude, I don't I mean, but I he keeps doing it, so he must be making just an obscene amount of money to do these videos. It's very disturbing that I seem to watch a lot of stuff that your eight-year-old, eight-year-old, seven-year-old daughter watches. Five. Five? Okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she'll be six this summer, so, you know, <laughs> hey, you, got, you, you, you can go with six if you want. Kids just get older. I don't know. I'm, you know. Oh, I, it, it happens to me. I go back to Oklahoma, and, like, the kids when I left that were, like, in kindergarten, they're now, like, about to start driving cars and shit. And I'm like, what, what's happened here? Yeah. I don't, I don't even know these kids anymore. Anyway, um, I don't even know how we got there or where we I were. I said Bob Bowlesby needs to be a, a murder one. Oh, yeah, that's does. right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Bowlesby to Coyote Peterson in one <laughs> step. That's impressive. Now he needs to wear one of those hats everywhere. My worlds have collided. <laughs> Josh, I guess we can get to what is actually news, and that's a little bit of the recruiting stuff. Oklahoma picked up a commitment on Tuesday or Monday, excuse me. Was it Monday or Tuesday? I, I these days Monday. continue to run together. Monday. No, yesterday, Tuesday. No, yes, final. Final. No, it was Monday. It, it was definitely Monday. Final. Percent Monday. Monday. Yep. So what was the commitment? Oh sure. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't realize. I didn't realize that was the. We were, we were leaving me there. I got you. Uh, Danny Stutson, uh, linebacker from Winter Garden, Florida. I keep wanting to say Winter Gardens. I want to pluralize it for some reason. Um, but, no, it's Winter Garden, Florida. He is a guy that I, I, I've i talked about him several times in the pod the last few weeks. We mentioned that we thought this might be coming. Uh, I think I even said something like next week we could be talking about this. So um, Stutzman is a guy that Oklahoma offered in early March Big, long guy. I mean, Rivals, his, you can look at his profile in Rivals. He's listed at 6'3", 205. Um, he told me, actually, on the on the junior tape that everyone is watching, he was about 190 all season at uh, Foundation Academy is the name of the school. Um, 
I he told me when we talked after his commitment that since the end of the season, and I, I should say his dad is a coach on the team, so he's around a lot of this uh, from day to day, uh, just being around, you know, weightlifting, football training, all these kind of things. Well, he he told me he is now 220 pounds, and his bench press has gone up 100 pounds since the end of the season. Now, I don't know what he'd been doing for the previous – that. Like, I don't know if you just not looked at the weights since you were born or what it was, but, I mean, this is a big, long kid that, like I said, you know, and I've been talking about it since I first saw his tape. There's a lot of potential there. I mean, there is – he runs well. Like I said, he's got – he's big and he's got length, like they talk about, like Brian Odom and Alex Grinch have talked about wanting in their linebackers. And, you know, when I talked to him, I asked him, you know, what is it – OU and kind of other schools have told you they like about your game. What is it that's really caught their attention on tape? And he was like, I, I like to hit. I'm violent. They, they, they all say, you know, I'm like, but that's going to ring true for a lot of OU fans. They're going to love hearing that. So uh, he is a guy, like I said, that I, I realize um, some people don't know him as well yet. They see three-star and think, oh, you know, same story with the defense. This is a defense that you can look back at last year. When they were making offers like this and getting guys like this, they were guys like Dante Manning that nobody was talking about that ended up being a you know a top five, top ten corner in the whole country, Under Armour All-American. I mean, you go down that list, there were a lot of really good players that OU identified before any other major program. So I, I think uh, Ryan Watts is another good example. I mean, they, they, mm-hmm. I mean, and they didn't get Ryan Watts or Dante Manning, but this is what I'm talking about. You need to get these guys. You, OU can't walk in to a room with a five-star and out-recruit Clemson, Alabama right now. That's just not going to happen on the defensive side of the ball. Offense, they can go recruit with anybody in the country at any position on the field. But on defense, it's not that way. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I mentioned it a few weeks ago uh, when there was a lot of talk about uh, LSU and Caleb Williams. I was talking to a friend of mine, and he goes, there's no quarterback in the country that's going to pick LSU over Oklahoma. Well, it's the same thing in reverse on defense. Oklahoma has to make good evaluations. They have to continue to produce NFL draft picks like Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore. That's a great starting point. Next, you've got Ronnie Perkins. You need some of those guys to start developing and becoming those first or second day draft picks. And then you can start building up enough resume to say, hey, look, look what we did with these guys. Look what we did with Danny Stutzman. That you know that his best other offer was Texas A&M. You know, I mean, you can start to make those pitches, and we made him in an NFL draft pick, and then you can start landing those elite guys. That's kind of the way this works. Uh, Clemson, you know, and and people like say, oh well, then we have to wait that long to compete. No, Clemson won two national titles and was not recruiting at the level they are now recruiting at. They weren't getting the guys that were. They weren't getting the Brian Brazees and all these other big time dudes. They were getting a bunch of good, solid three- and four-star players that they made good evaluations on. Hell, Travis Etienne was a three-star running back coming out of high school that LSU was not that serious about for a long time. Like, they're, they're all, I mean, and I should say that's important because he was from Louisiana. So these are the guys you have to go get, and I think it's a really good get. Not, I don't love him to the level I loved Shane Witter in the last class, yeah, but I impossible. do think Danny Stutzman's a really good player. Shane Witter, future starter. Shane Witter's a man crush. There, there's no doubt. I like me some Shane Witter. How tough is it for the coaches to evaluate uh, a guy that maybe plays at a smaller private school like Danny uh, Stutzman? 
Like I, I'm just trying to think back to guys that sometimes I feel like it, it, that has to be like the hardest thing a coach has to do is evaluate a player when the film doesn't necessarily maybe match up with the ability. Does that mean, am I, is, am I asking that correctly? Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Like you're watching a guy that's killing people on tape, but then you start looking at what's on tape with him and you're like, Oh, that's, that's, and you you think South Florida, and you think, well, okay, he's just playing nothing but dudes all the time. And then you start looking at the table, I'm like, no, that's a bunch of kind of private school kids. And I, I totally concede. You watch Danny Stutzman's tape, and you don't see a lot of his opponents that you're like, well, that's a Division One player. You don't see St. Thomas Aquinas or any of those major programs on his schedule. Like, that, that's not there. At the same time, is the level he is playing that different than what I watched Adrian Peterson beat the bejesus out of? No, not really. Adrian Peterson played 3A high school football out in East Texas. Like, don't get me wrong, there were some good players. He played against a guy that uh, in the first round of the playoffs that went to Texas. Mulkleroy was the kid's name. Um, so I'm not saying it's the same. But when you watch the tape, and when I talk to coaches about this, and I have these kind of conversations, and this is dating, you know, God, I've been doing this a long time now, almost 20 years. I, you know, I, I can tell you that coaches will tell you that's a lazy evaluation because sure. not every kid is going to play at Jinx or Union or stuff like that. Sometimes you're going to have to base it on your ability to see, is that guy explosive? Does, is what he's doing, does that translate? Would he still be a good player at the 6A level? If we put him on the field with a Jinx or a Union or a Allen in Dallas or, like I said, St. Thomas Aquinas in South Florida – would he still be a playmaker? I think Danny Stutzman would be. I think Danny Stutzman is a good enough athlete that he would make plays and be a difference maker almost regardless of who his opponents are. Now, is he going to be more dominant against a bunch of guys that, you know, uh, are are not going to be playing college football? Yeah, of course. That That's only reasonable. And that's where you get into the conversation of does he dominate accordingly? Is he is he is much better than these players than he should be watch his tape he runs down running backs from behind he runs down wide receivers from behind he is bowling over offensive linemen that's not going to play in college he's not going to run over offensive linemen in college he's not going to track down i don't know um theo weiss in practice next year that's not going to happen but at the same time it shows you a level of athleticism to say he can make the plays he's supposed to make he can make the plays that we need him to make to be a playmaker. And I think that's what you like. I see, like I said, I see quick feet. I see athleticism. I see length. And like I said, when you talk about what he's done this offseason, I see a guy that will put in the work, and I can't think of much that would appeal more to Brian Odom with what we know of Brian Odom. He wants a guy that is tireless and is going to put in all the work, do the things he's asked to do, and then they believe the system is good enough that if you are doing the things you're supposed to do, you are the athlete we've recruited you to be, you're going to make plays. From my experience, even though it's limited, from watching Florida high school football, it's a different type of football. Like, even smaller. Remember when we went to see Lath Harlow, Eddie? Uh, yeah, the, the I, tight end? I was literally just thinking about that. Like, he was playing against, like, he was clearly not the best athlete on the field. Like, he was a... He didn't even really belong in that game because he was just there to, I mean, they didn't run that type of offense where it was just all over the place and he was split out and all that stuff. He was a big bruising guy. 
Uh, but he was playing against, I think the team, like one kid was, the team they were playing, one kid was, it was a smaller school, but one kid was committed to Kentucky. One kid was committed to Auburn, I think. And they were fast as shit. And I, I think, you know, what you're talking about, Josh, if he just doesn't look overmatched, it, even against smaller Florida schools, because there's a lot of speed in Florida. And if, if you don't look overmatched and you actually excel, even against lower divisions, I'd take that just knowing what I know from watching smaller school football in Florida. Like, I'd take that over a kid, you know, that's just dominating statistically like in Oklahoma. Oh, absolutely. Guys, you know, I go to – I still see plenty of Oklahoma high school football, especially – I mean – on tape, in person, you know, whatever, going to jamborees in the preseason, catching as many games as I can, all that stuff. When I go to an Oklahoma high school football game, now some of this I fully admit is just course knowledge. Like I know the guys when I walk in. It's very, very rare that I see a guy that I'm like, wow, I can't believe I don't know about that guy. Like, I mean, and, and it's usually three or four players on either side that I really have any level of interest in. And I don't, you know. that If you're I, lucky, I, yeah. Yeah, like that that may and that that might be, you know, Midwest City versus Muskogee or Jinx versus, you know, I mean, those are good teams that produce talent. Um, it may be one guy in the whole 22, you know, or the 44 players that have started in the game. I mean, that, that's it can be that limited. But a good example, I go last year to see Josh Eaton play. And this was back when he was committed to Texas. Like Eaton was the only reason I was going. It was the only way I was going to get an interview with him. And so I go to the game. And these are two bad teams. I mean, I, I think it was it, it was two Aldean uh, schools, and I want to say they had about seven wins combined. His MacArthur team, if I remember right, snuck into the playoffs. They, I think they went to the playoffs, lost pretty bad in the first round, and that was it. And the other team, I don't believe, even made the playoffs. So they had about seven combined wins, and this is like eight or, week eight or nine in the year. I mean, th- th- these are not good teams. I bet I saw seven guys that physically look the part they could absolutely be division one athletes now does that mean they all were no some might not have had grades some might not even have been particularly good football players but physically they matched up to what you're looking for and then there are another half a dozen guys that maybe they're only five eight but they can run you know i mean like they're it is North Houston, you can't make a move without finding guys who are really, really good prospects and good football players. And Florida's the same way. I mean, like, it, especially you get into that South Florida area. So there are good players on those teams that maybe people are just not acknowledging. But still, like, it's hard for people that have – and I talk about this all the time when I get into the argument of, well, Oklahoma didn't give in-state guys enough love. If all you watch is Oklahoma high school football, it's very, very hard to understand what it looks like. I mean, Bob or Eddie, Kerry, you guys watch mainly Oklahoma high school football through the year, and then you go down to the Under Armour game or the Army game. You've gone with me a bunch of times. Those cats look different. It's not the same thing. Like, and I realize those are the cream of the crop. Yeah. But there are a bunch of those guys in Florida. I mean, Florida's got eight, ten, twelve Army All Americans every year. Oklahoma has one every three or four. I mean, it's just not the same thing. Well, it's like, you know, I can take our two trips we went on last year, Eddie, uh, or two years last, I guess it was, it would have been, no, I mean, two years ago when we went up to Wichita, but like we went there for Hicks and we saw Brees Hall 
And we were like, that kid's a player, like Brees Hall. Like, but OU had a lot of good running back commitments at that time. And so we're like, yeah, he could play at OU probably. Uh, but he definitely played Iowa State. And it turns out he's one of the best young running backs in the league now. Uh, but there were like, there were two players on the, and the other team didn't have a damn soul on. It. And then we, we, we went and watched Dante Manning last year. And he had one other guy that was on his team that ran a kickoff back for a touchdown. They had that big freshman offensive lineman. But the other team had jack squad on it. Like, there was not a single kid. You're like, hey, he might, he, he could be something. Like, it's so, yeah, it's so different when you're, you're looking at teams like in Kansas, especially. Like, you yeah. really see what you're talking about. And that wasn't a major yeah. metropolitan area, Kerry. That yeah. wasn't like, I mean, that wasn't even like the sticks. Yeah. No, you're right. You could see downtown Kansas City from their field. Yeah. I mean, so you're yeah, talking was, about where they're literally be... around, around the block from uh, Arrowhead. It, it was funny, though. In, you know, we go to these camps and stuff. Uh, we go to the games. For instance, like what Carrie was saying, you walk into Dante Manning uh, game. You're like, OK, that's Dante Manning right there. You, you know, you know, immediately when you walk in, uh, you go to a camp, you're going to have to go find them. It's like that's like one of the hardest <laughs> parts of the Rivals camp is mm-hmm. tracking down the kid if you haven't met him before. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, you put Brees Hall in the five-star challenge, you probably don't even notice him. Well, guys, a perfectly good example and one that's probably going to sting you guys a little bit, but I, I'm going to bring it up. You went and saw Jacob Phillips. Eddie, you saw him in person, and you saw Levi Draper in person multiple times. As good a player as Levi Draper was in high school, physically there was absolutely no, no comparison. comparison. Yeah. No, no, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, I saw no them stand next to each other at, at the Army game, and – they're they're not the same guys. I mean, like they just weren't. But again, and that's why like that's why when you go to the five star camps and stuff, the, the people that really stick out from those, I would imagine for the most part, there's a pretty good. Uh, oh, what am I trying to say? Most of those guys go on to big and better things. And like the the one that has always kind of stuck out to me is the Cardrell Thomas kid. Uh, down at LSU, and his name was in the news this past week, I think, and that might be because that might be why his name's on my mind. But like, I remember people like that. He made a lasting impression on my brain. Oh, one of the best campers I ever saw on the offensive line was Alex Leatherwood. Guy went to Alabama. Oh yeah, I remember Absolutely. Rob Cassie was like, I, I didn't know anything about Alex Leatherwood. I saw him at a, a camp in, um, uh, where was I? Doesn't even matter where the first time I saw him, but I see him. And Rob's like, watch this. He's going to murder everyone. Like, he's just going to kill everybody. And I was like, I mean, this was, there were good dudes at this camp. I'm like, no, whatever. Alex Leatherwood, like, hates defensive linemen. Like, he hates them. Like, it's in his bones. And he would, I mean, like, it wasn't, like, enough to beat a guy. He would bury that guy. And now that dude looks like he's going to be a first-round pick out of Alabama next year. Like, I'm not saying everybody hits on these five stars or anything like that. Not even close to it. But, there's a reason Trevor Lawrence had a ton of hype coming out of high school. I said he was the best high school quarterback I'd ever seen. He's a damn near certain to be certainty to be the number one overall pick next year. Here's a question that I got into with a couple of buddies the other day. Unless Josh Justin Fields Gary. comes out. Not going to happen. Why? What has been Oklahoma's problem with the five-star? I, I know that's a question that has always kind of been out there, but like, I would love to go back and look and see – how many five stars that have come into Oklahoma that have just simply not cut it? And I the mean, majority I'm of them, Kelly. I'll tell you, he the has majority here to turn it around. But for the most part, like outside of an AD and maybe a Gerald McCoy, there just hasn't been a whole lot of guys like that that have come in and from day one 
been a difference maker. Josh and I have looked at this in the past, and it's not just five-star, but it's it's top 100 kids, too. Like, you look at all the top 100 kids that just were either just busts or just had very average careers, guys like Jameel Owens and uh, um, I'm trying to think, like, who was the kid, uh, uh, the linebacker out of Colorado, Zach Latimer? Zach Latimer. Like, mm-hmm. he was just okay. I mean... But you know, people remember the R.J. Washingtons and the and the you know Stephen Goods and the uh, well a good example, Kerry Stacy McGee. You brought up Jameel. Yeah, Stacy didn't do crap at OU, and then he gets to the NFL, and you're like, oh, this guy's not a bad player, actually. Like, I mean, it's it's weird how that stuff happens. But I mean, like, you go through the years. Hell, Rep. Bomar is another good example. Yeah. Like, I don't know what I mean. I don't know what his career would have entailed, but it certainly was more than what actually happened. I mean. I mean, we'll just run down the list of five stars that OU signed since 2002. Zach Latimer, eh. Pasha Jackson, eh. Lance Mitchell, if not for a knee injury, would have been every bit the five-star player. He was unbelievably good. Uh, Adrian Peterson, obviously a huge hit. Chris <laughs> Patterson, never, never showed get his grades yeah. right. Yep. Uh, Rhett Bomar, we all know that story. Uh, Demarcus Granger, solid player, probably was too high. I mean, like, not nothing wrong with Demarcus. Injury he didn't help career. him. Yeah, true. Stealing coach right. didn't help him. Ryan Reynolds, same deal. Uh, good player. Injuries really just derailed his career. Gerald McCoy, obviously a huge hit there. Mike Reed, one of the more baffling. Oh, man. Like that, that, that one's just strange. I don't know that whole story. I won't claim I do. Uh, R.J. Washington, obviously not a hit. Stephen Good, injury problems. Jeremy Calhoun. And I can honestly Transfer, take. Yeah, yeah I, I will take some credit. I never felt Jeremy Calhoun was a five-star. I said it repeatedly. I didn't. I, I thought he was a very good player. I certainly thought he would have a better career than he did, but I, I didn't get the five. I was not on the five-star train. Brandon Williams transferred out. Trey McTwire, let's just not touch that one. Um, <laughs> well, oh, God, I did that's it not, anyway. Not, like, that's I not did the it only thing action. you wouldn't want to touch. Eddie, do you have a pen? Can I borrow a pen, Eddie? Uh, I, let me go check. Let me go check. I'll be right back. Joe Mixon, I'm going to take out my ding-dong. See, like, and a good one like that nobody really ever talks about is Joe Mixon because if it wasn't sure. for what happened, Just such a cloud. Joe Mixon yeah. would have been such a huge superstar. And, like, I, no it, doubt. I mean, and you guys know better than me. It always felt like OU was afraid, and, and even to this point is a little afraid to push him. It's like, yeah, we had Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon's our guy, you know, like – it's not the same level where they'll put Adrian Peterson no, in front of him. No, never everybody. will. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. we, we see that just when – or I see that just when I tweet things from the Scoop account as far as Joe Mixon, uh, like, you know, throwback Thursdays or whatever from the, the Rivals events that we have video of them. Sure. The, the, the first response is normally the one that everybody would think somebody would go to, and it's usually from somebody that isn't an OU fan, granted, but – it still is it's kind of the elephant in the room for everybody. But you know what? It's not just Joe Mixon. I mean, Tyreek Hill has that same stigma. I mean, like you sure. hear people all the time like, oh, we need a we need a Tyreek Hill type weapon, but nobody ever says, Hey, let's go get Tyreek Hill. <laughs> yeah. Oh you, you I, I wonder if sometimes like the Chiefs are like, We're gonna get to get him for a little cheaper than we should for the rest of his career. Yeah. Because other people even you know, like I mean, the last incident with him was what, three or four years ago? And, or I mean, the last one I guess we know about, whatever you want to say, that the public is going to be aware of. Talking about Tyreek Hill? And there's, yeah. Yeah. And there still is a stigma of, like, you know if, if, let's say, the Dallas Cowboys went after him and signed him, 
Jerry Jones in that press conference, maybe eight years after in the incident, is going to have to answer questions about it. And I'm not saying that's not fair. I'm just saying you're going to get a discount price on that guy because of that reason. But just to finish out the list, Caleb Kelly, obviously still on the roster, hasn't been a five-star yet. We'll see what happens. Brendan Radley-Hiles, I, I think we're going to end up looking wrong on that. I mean, I, I just I don't think there's any way around that. Trajan Bridges, Jaden Hazelwood, Theo Weiss, and Spencer Rattler. Uh, you know, I, I think all those guys are going to be very good players. We'll, we'll, we'll see, but... And you could even include uh, he he I, he he fell to, I I believe he fell to a four star for us, but I think others had him in five five star. Same going back to that uh, San Francisco. Uh, oh, I knew where you were joke. I mean, Onion Agacha. He had the pick against Nebraska. Leave him alone, people. Didn't somebody declare him the first pick in the draft before he ever showed up at OU? I think there was some something like that. Yeah, yeah. I oh, mean, no. I'm gonna get a phone call. I think actually uh, it's an angry text. That's how I interact with that person. You know, the thing that I think really Eddie that shines the biggest light on it is it's a weird combination because OU has had a lot of busts on five stars. And then at the same time, I would say maybe more than almost any other major program has hit on so many three stars. There's been so many that, People were like, oh, he's nobody special. Like, Joaquin Iglesias wasn't even special in Oklahoma's eyes and became a second-round pick. He was a late offer that they didn't – Quentin Griffin was a nobody that Bobby Jack Wright took late and ended up having a great career. Obviously, Sam Bradford went from three-star to number one overall. Like, Dan I mean, Cody is an example. Of- yeah, yeah, Teddy Lehman, Rocky Calm. I mean, you go down the list, and there are a ton of guys like that in Oklahoma, but you can only think of a few five-stars that you're like, okay – now, it's the same thing when I get into the draft conversation when people are like, well, there were only 17 five-stars you know, in the first round, and there were 10 three-stars. Well, there's 30 five-stars per year, and there's 1,000 three-stars. Like, the math says that holds up pretty, pretty obviously, but the five-stars have a much better chance. Oklahoma's only got 23 five-stars since 2002 in the, in the sure. rival search I did. So the numbers – are like, well, okay, there's still plenty of good players in that group. I mean, you've got, like I said, Peterson, McCoy, and Mixon. I mean, you've got three I, – I don't, I don't know if Hall of Fame's the right word for Mixon at this point, but McCoy and Peterson, they're going to be in that conversation. Um, so, you know, it, it, like I said, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but at the same time, I mean, they've signed 100 oh, Steve Taylors from Purcell – that didn't do anything, you know, that were three-star players. So it goes back and forth. But but you're right. I, and I, to get, I guess I never really answered your question. For me, and you guys could maybe answer better than I can because you're there every day. But for me, I think for a long time, there was certainly an element of some of these five-stars came in and felt like, okay, well, I'm, I'm here now. I'm a five-star. I'm a big-time guy. And some schools will play that game with you. Like, Texas was very good at it. I thought that was something that was a real strength under Mac Brown. They did a very good job of letting those guys kind of grow into, well, okay, that's great that you're a five-star, but you're part of the team. As to where OU was like, knock that stuff off. Like, just don't, don't even bring that in our door. And I think that at times stunted a few guys that maybe could have been more than they were. Yeah, and, you know, I, that's why I kind of asked this leading into – what my theory on it is, is maybe that the Bob Stoops era just didn't really, I don't want to say welcome the five-star attitude, but maybe more so, 
I think Lincoln Riley and his mindset and mentality, and maybe it comes with age of the coaching staff and maybe just the reality of how important recruiting is nowadays, that maybe this is getting ready to be a period of time where the five-star starts really finding success at Oklahoma. And obviously, I mean, between Buki and Caleb Kelly, you know, the, the jury's still out on them. I think everybody kind of feels the same way about the trio of wide receivers. But that kind of leads me into the question of Caleb Williams and Oklahoma's pursuit of him, because it's obviously looking like Oklahoma's in really, really, really good shape for him uh, here moving forward. Absolutely. You know, and that's the thing that gets more and more interesting with Caleb, because I, you know, I, I'm, we'll, we'll see what he does. Okay. For, and for those that don't follow it, earlier this week, Caleb Williams announced his top three. Uh, uh, we'll go even further back. Caleb Williams, five star quarterback from Gonzaga High School in Washington, D.C., announced his final three uh, on, I believe it was, this was also Monday, and it was Oklahoma, Maryland, and LSU. Within, guys, was it about four hours LSU had picked up the commitment of Garrett Nussmeyer, the quarterback from Flower Mound Marcus? I think that pretty much ends all contact between LSU and Caleb Williams. I think this is coming down to Oklahoma and Maryland. I think Oklahoma is a huge leader in this situation. And you don't think his dad makes that any any kind of a gray area there? like No, because if you read uh, our guy Adam Friedman's comments, he made comments about offensive line play and the guys around him and those kind of things. And while Maryland does have Rakeem Jarrett, Oklahoma's got three Rakeem Jarretts. I mean, they've got Trajan. They've got, I mean, they've got three big five-star guys, and Rakeem Jarrett was like a program-changing commitment for Maryland. Like, I, and I think that kind of shines light on how different they are. Now, I, I, I want to be very honest. Because it's going to come down this way, Oklahoma is going to have to recruit Caleb Williams like crazy until he signs. Because Maryland, I get, Mike Loxley is one of the best recruiters in the country. Yeah. They will never give up on Caleb Williams. He is a program-defining recruit for them. He is like what Adrian Peterson was for Oklahoma in the mid-2000s. It's that big of a deal. It shifts the scope of their recruiting area. They can really make a pitch to everybody in the DMV area, hey, come play with the best quarterback that's come out of this region in 20 years. Like They, they can go through all those steps. He is a huge deal for them, so they will fight tooth and nail to the end. But I still think they are going to have to prove a lot on the field. They're going to have to be a lot improved. They're going to have to show him that offensive line is a capable unit and has a you know is going to be good going forward. And I like I said, I think that's a lot to ask in a year. But make well, no and mistake, let's let's face it. Don't I mean, write them off. If Spencer Rattler has a really strong year, they'll just be yeah. in his ear all the time, like. You know he's going to be there for three more years. Well, if, 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 well, it, but if if Rattler see, I had think a really it would go good the other year, way. wouldn't that work for OU's way of saying yep. you're going to take over in a year and a half of, after this guy leaves early? Right. Yep. Yeah. Come here, learn the offense under him for a year, and then you're our guy. I'm and just saying, gonna, Maryland's you know. not going to sell it like he's going to leave early. Oh no, no, no! They'll uh, they'll pitch you. that. Yeah, you. you're right. You're right. Um, and like I said, I mean, Loxley is an outstanding recruiter, and. There are a lot of positions where I'd say, oh, I'd be worried about this from beginning to end. Going head-to-head with Lincoln Riley and what he's done at quarterback and Oklahoma and their offense, boy, that's that's a big hill to climb, especially with Maryland not being – I mean, Maryland – if Maryland was playing football at a level of, like, Texas A&M, okay, maybe. But Mer- Maryland's been bad for since Ralph Fre- since the middle part of Ralph Regan's era. 
And what's yeah. what, what's what's kind of funny? Oh my God! It's Bob. You're banned. Holy hell! What the hell? Who? <laughs> what's what? He what's snuck in. Is, this is, is bullshit. We 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 keep talking about at least you know I bring up every single week right that when's he going to commit when's he going to commit well the longer he doesn't commit the less you have to fight back because I mean we talk about it's going to be a fight right against Loxley the entire way but that fight is not only seven months it's not like a year and a half it's not you know the the longer Caleb Williams goes without making a call. It's like that fight dwindles and dwindles. And yes, you guys have, you've gotten rid of my ban. My one hour ban for Isaiah Thomas <laughs> is officially up. I am here. I will not. I, I apologize to every, who, <laughs> and anyone who was offended, right? Isn't that how you, how, how you do it? You don't If apologize. I offended anyone, I if, apologize. If I offended anyone, I apologize. And of, of course, to the OU defensive lineman i'm i'm sorry i did not mean to get into your dms as you said on sunday night and go nuts on you as eminem once said if i offended you good i still don't give a that would have been the way for bob to go that would have been amazing i I do i need like a gift on twitter or something that says it has now been one podcast since my last f-bomb (laughs) <laughs> the, like, that. Avatar. I, Eddie's on the job We can put something together for that Bob uh, But no Bob and Bob's right Because the shorter that time gets Between signing in December Which Bob I, Somebody asked me and I'm almost certain Caleb Williams is a midterm guy right Like for some reason He's my brain gotta is brain- be, Yeah like right? I, I'm almost I, certain I that's correct it. At, yeah. at this point, because of yeah. everything he's been doing with the blog and things of that that nature. Exactly, exactly. So I, I think now if and, they split the season in half, and yeah. he he comes in and becomes a backup quarterback, then Tanner Mordecai is definitely transferring. Yes, I think yes. that is. I mean, does any okay? If how big would the odds have to be for you to take a bet on Tanner Mordecai being on Oklahoma's roster in the 2021 season? Can I do that somewhere? I mean, <laughs> I need some long odds. You know, to, make... you know what the interesting thing is, is the, you know, depending on what the season, and I thought about this even before we had a little, and I say clarity, we, we still don't have clarity on the season, but I, if, if the season were to go through the spring, and he took online classes in the fall, would he technically be able to graduate without even stepping onto the field this year, onto the practice field? Who are you talking about? Are you talking about Mordecai? Mordecai? Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. I don't know how I don't like, know Wouldn't, how wouldn't well that he's really done. work against OU if, if say, the, the season was moved to the spring? Oh, okay. you're Mordecai saying. Mordecai graduates in December. That like wouldn't that kind of mess up Lincoln Riley's plans a little bit, or what I think are his plans? Well, I mean, I think he's gonna. Yeah, if if Spencer Rattler goes according to the plan that we think he's he's going to go to, it's not gonna matter because he's gonna be gone. I mean, sure. But yeah, split season. It changes a lot of things. I don't. I, if I'm the NCAA, I wonder if they even just say no transfers if it's a split season. Right. 
That would get really confusing. But then you're still going to have people declaring early for the draft and all that, too, so. Oh, yeah, and, like, that that brings up the whole scenario with, like, say, somebody like a Creed Humphrey. If the season was moved to the spring and they're still going to have the NFL draft in April and I'm advising somebody, I think I'd probably tell them not to play the spring season. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. That's what I tell my son. And that's what you will tell your son. <laughs> nonetheless, nonetheless, I think that we all agree that it seems like things are headed in a very positive direction for Caleb Williams. And I think that's interesting for Bob and Josh, just as far as how much his reach would be once he joins the class. And that's something that both of you have insinuated kind of on the, on the board, but it, it, it's fascinating to me that you look at Oklahoma right now. And I think they're ranked like 47th in the team rankings you throw Caleb Williams in there, and then all of a sudden he recruits a couple kids, and you're talking about Oklahoma possibly bringing in a top-five class in the 2021 group. You know, in terms yeah, of Caleb Williams and selling him on Oklahoma like we were talking about earlier, the thing that gets more impressive the further you get away from it is that, yes, Oklahoma had back-to-back -back Heisman Trophy winners. Jalen Hurts finished second in the Heisman voting. Like, that's still, like, the further you get away from it, the more mind-boggling <laughs> that is. He finished second to Joe Burrow in the Heisman. I can never this figure out what surprises me most about the Jalen Hurts situation. Like, every day I'm like this, <laughs> like, I, I feel, it really is, it's the Will Ferrell, like, I it's, feel like I'm on crazy pills. We've reached the shit on Jalen Hurts segment on the Unofficial 40. Yeah, I well, have family members who don't love that he has progressed his name and himself as a player through a global pandemic. That's maybe the most Jalen Hurts thing of all time. We looked this up this the is, other day. This is, this is, it's just so Jalen Hurts. Like, Eddie noticed this, but like 24-7 Sports writes a Jalen Hurts article almost every day. And no one like retweets it. They just keep writing them for some reason. His Did name you gets guys clicks, check and man. see if, they get some clicks. of those There's had no like about it. some of those had like one retweet. Was it, were they was everyone that had one yeah, retweet? I, was that Tony? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, there's the other crazy lady too. What's her name? Yeah, uh, Cleo. Cleo, Cleo. Yeah. Eddie checks his block list. And I, I texted you guys the night that he got drafted about this. And I I I. I know it's looking between the uh, reading between the lines and probably looking into something that isn't even there. And I made it up in my brain, but I thought it was very telling. The guy gets drafted, and I don't think one person from the OU football team congratulated him as far as his teammates. I think there was a couple likes here and there. I think Caleb Kelly, I saw, liked something. Outside of that, I thought it was very telling that there was no, uh, it wasn't a celebration, if you will. This is just like the movie Draft Day. I, you read my mind. <laughs> That's exactly what yep. I was like. Did anybody ask Kevin Costner if, if somebody went to his birthday party? I've never seen it. Should I see it? Yeah, I think you'd it's enjoy it. It's not bad. You'd enjoy it's it. It's okay. Yeah. The I only mean, thing as that's football the, movie goes, it's not that bad. Like, like, I mean, you've seen worse shit. The thing is about that movie, Kevin Costner is not likable. Like, they don't, he doesn't play a guy that you root for, even though that's the point of the movie. And in every like sports movie, he's always likable. Like he's always yeah. like. I mean, he he may be a little like in uh, the the one I love is um, the baseball one where he's the old pitcher and I, I'm blanking. I own it, but I can't think of the name. For the love of the game. Uh, oh yeah, for, for love yeah, of the yeah, game. yeah, yeah. Like I love that movie. It's a great Billy movie. Chappell. 
Yeah, and there are huge portions where he's a dick. Yeah, and but but there are parts you're like to oh, the beautiful you know, Kelly like, Preston, who is yeah, she's just lived as a su- her life as a beard. <laughs> what she has, <laughs> this isn't a secret. I did not I did not know where that was going to go. I don't know where that came from. I've never heard that. Oh bullshit! Everybody's heard that. Seriously, John, I've I, not heard that. Newsflash: John Travolta's gay. I, I I don't read the tabloids as much as you do, I guess, Carrie. When you're sitting there wearing your mask, reading your Us Weekly in the in the grocery store I, lines, I don't see it. I can confirm, Carrie. I I've uh, read that as well, and I think I probably believe it. Oh, it, I I can buy it. See, even um, the birds agree. And in, in Bob's they're backyard, they're singing to John Travolta. Yeah. No, Kelly Preston is lovely. She is. She. Uh, what's the, her and uh, Diane? What's her name? Lane. Uh, the old, yes, those are. They have aged nicely. Um, Although I think no, they uh, intentionally make her look old as Superman's mom. Oh yeah, I hate like I can't do yeah, her. There. Good like, luck. That, that's, I, yeah. I'm against that. But uh, we, Josh is flustered here? over Diane Lane and <laughs> no, Kelly no, Preston. No, I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to. Remember, oh, we were t- we were talking about Kevin Costner and draft day. Yeah, yeah how miserable oh, he, he he's was. just he's just a dick. He's a dick through the whole thing. Um, and I'm much more okay with him being mean to what's her face in draft day than I am him being shitty to uh, Kelly Preston in uh, to love the game. Well, they weren't exclusive. I mean, he banged his masseuse just like John Travolta does. Except John Travolta's masseuse is a man. And there's nothing wrong with that. This isn't this isn't a judgment. What is is somebody else breaking in? Is the government watching this listening to us? What is going on? Somebody like maybe somebody's on a phone. I can't tell. I don't know. That, that that one wasn't me. The birds were me. Yes. I don't know what that was. <laughs> it could uh, it very well could be the government. Yeah. I, I've been worrying about this day for a long Big bread, time. big dairy is finally coming for you, Eddie. I, you know what? No better time than now. Take me. <laughs> At least I get to go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it'll maybe it'll be fun. What is that? Josh, you were on a boat last weekend? Yeah, uh, Tiffany's parents, they, they, I mean, I've said it before, they live on the water. Like, I mean, like, you can, you can get to the Gulf of Mexico from their boat on the back of their house. So, um, don't go to Brazil right now. That's really bad there. That's not happening. No, no. I, I, Believe me, there's nothing redeeming about the Gulf of Mexico. That is a nasty hole of water. Like, Lanny always wants to go to Galveston and go to the beach. I'm like, that beach is almost constantly like, <laughs> beware of this particular bacteria in the water. Like, gross. That's disgusting. Um, but, no, uh, so <laughs> she's going to kill me for telling this story. Oh, yeah. Here we go. So we, we, were, um, we were out on the boat, and um, we were kind of running through this channel, and – we're at full speed, and Lainey is sitting back in the captain's chair with Tiffany's dad, and um, uh, Tiffany is sitting with Layla, our two-year-old, on her lap, and I'm kind of next to her up in the front of the boat. Well, about this time, Tiffany's mom's like, oh, hey, big boat coming, hang on to something. Well, I'm I'm close enough to a rail that I can kind of grab something, and I mean, it was. It was a, I mean, down here, you run into some big, big boats, and it was clocking along pretty good. And so we hit the first bump, and it's fine, you know, okay, no big deal. 
hit the second bump, and I kind of turn. I'm like, wow, that jarred me even a little bit. Well, by about the third and fourth bump, I am looking forward and just kind of looking at the waves that are coming so I can kind of prepare myself as they come in. I turn back, and Tiffany and Layla are on the floor of the boat. <laughs> the Apparently, the I didn't see it, but the third one bounced her up in the air, and she kind of lands back down, and she still has Layla. And then the fourth one, they they kind of they go over. They end up landing on the ground. And to Tiffany's credit, literally never dropped the child. And the child landed in her lap, but Tiffany went down. And so we're both like, like her and her, her mom and I are like, you okay? You bruised? She's like, no, no, I'm fine, blah, blah, blah. And she really, like the next day, I thought she'd be all beat up. But no, she was fine. She went down hard, though, because we were, we were at about full speed in her parents' boat. And these these waves were no small thing it, it was pretty serious but it was pretty funny after like after you realize because like, my main concern was layla i was like is layla okay you're an adult you're gonna be fine but um <laughs> tiffany's tiffany's mom was very alert alarmed for tiffany i'm like she's she's fine she's an adult the two-year-old how is the two-year-old and Layla, like, Layla lost it, but we immediately were like, okay, we got to get her going again. So we went on, like, 30 more minutes of the boat ride just to take the shock and awe out of the boat for Layla. So it was uh, it was an interesting day out on the water. You don't think she's traumatized? No, she, she by the end of it, she was fine. She, like, she loves the water. She likes to swim. Like, I think the thing she hates about the boat is the damn life jacket. She don't want to wear that thing at all because um, that's just – late laney you were like oh it's you call it we called it her boat outfit we're like put your boat boat outfit on blah 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 and she never had a problem laney this day has never complained about it layla's like get this damn thing layla wants to like she she tries to jump off of like balconies like her parents have like a second story balcony well it's way too high for layla to get to the top of it so we never worried about it until last week where we see her draw like she starts dragging a step stool up to the to the edge of it so she can stand on the step stool because she wants to look down it's not that she wants to jump i don't think but she she keeps pulling herself up to the edge so she can look over it because she wants to see down into the yard because she can see the birds and the fish down in the water and everything so it is she is my chaos child she is going to keep me up at night while laney is going to probably do everything in the opposite fashion Bob, uh, there's some uh, basketball news that came out today. If we ever return to basketball, if we ever return, yeah, the o- OU and Arkansas ready for a multi-year set and perfect site for it, the BOK Center in in Tulsa. I mean, I I think we've a lot of us have talked about it on Twitter throughout the, this morning is like why doesn't why don't OU and Arkansas get together more and more? I, there's always that natural OU versus Texas thing. And it feels more natural to say it's, it's OU versus Arkansas. That would be a better comparison. And, you know, and this is, this is a good matchup. You know, this is a, a team a program that's right on the same level. You know, the, the teams that kind of hover around that seven to 10 seed on a consistent basis, unless they have a special group and then they really make a run and, with Eric Musselman there, you know that program's trending in the right direction. Of course, there's that added appeal of Chris Crutchfield, who left OU to be an assistant at Arkansas. And, you know, this is a perfect, 
uh, middle ground for those two programs. And it's a, a good chance for both of them to sort of re- recruit a, a good area. And you look at Tulsa basketball, that's a pretty good place for both of those programs to try to hit as much as they possibly can, you know, and as much as it's good to have those games in Norman and have kids from Tulsa come down to Lloyd Noble time and time again, this is even more inviting. This is letting you know, Hey, we care about Tulsa. We know how important you guys can be to our program. And this is the type of, you know, step type of movement that we want to show to you guys to let you know that you're always going to be some, an area that we're going to focus on now and in the future. It absolutely blew my mind, guys. Uh, Somebody mentioned it to me on Twitter. You know the last time Oklahoma and Arkansas met in a regular season football contest was? A regular season? Regular season. They've played three times in the last three times that they've played was in a bowl game. Cotton Bowl, Orange Bowl, Orange Bowl. Before that, when was the last time Oklahoma and Arkansas played in the regular season in college football? I can't answer because I, I saw your quote tweet. So yeah. I abstain. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think. You'll, you'll never get this. I'll just tell you'll, you. You'll yeah. never get it. <laughs> 1926. That's what I was going to guess. Yeah, I couldn't have <laughs> even gotten there. The last three times they played was 78 in the Orange Bowl, 87 in the Orange Bowl, and then obviously 2002 in the Cotton Bowl. Kind of crazy. I kind of, I kind of. If you were going to rank that that Cotton Bowl, where would that rank in the OU bowls of the last 20 years? The 2001. Yes, that Cotton Bowl against Arkansas. I was there. I was in the stadium that day. Uh, where would I rank it in their bowl games? Yeah, like got to be near the bottom of pure entertainment value. Yes. That's one of the worst football games. Unless you watched. just love defense. Is it ahead of losses? Like, I think it would have to be the worst win. It's, it? it's actually, it's. I'll say this. It's the worst, most dominant win that <laughs> OU has ever had in a bowl game. For sure. Like, there was... OU was uh, uh well I think the ball score was 10-3 if I remember right. Yes. And yep. there, there was, was no, no chance. point. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Arkansas had no chance to win that game. Never ever did they even get close. They had no chance. I mean was, I think they didn't they have like was that Matt Jones? Yeah, that was Matt Jones. Yeah. I think they had more incompletions than completions in that game or something. It, it was some ridiculous stat. I don't think, I think they that, had like Gary, I, I think, think they had like right. 59 yards of offense or something. Like yeah, it was some it's just unbelievable. Like now you're like that that could never happen. I'm trying to well find with old Arkansas. Stats. You don't know. You've seen their offense the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I was gonna say something. I was like, well, Chandler Morris might listen to this. I don't need to. You know, we don't need another quarterback to block one of us. So. Arkansas's quarterback completed two passes that day. (laughs) He was, unless this box score that I'm looking at is wrong, he was two for 12 for 13 yards and an interception. That sounds, that sounds about right. Arkansas Uh, had six first downs in the game, 50 yards total. Uh, They had more plays than yards. They ran 55 plays and had 50 yards. That's what it was. That was the eye-popping stat. can, I mean, guys, like in this era when we walk, like I, I listened to, um, oh, uh, 
one of the other the college football podcast, Ty Hildebrand and uh, the Solid Verbal. I listen to them sometimes, and they'll go back and review games. They're like, I kind of can't believe this was only ten years ago, and how much things have changed. Like, I can't fathom that game taking place now. Like, I don't no. care if you took like the NFL All Stars and stuck them on a team against a good college football offense. Like, they would put up more yardage and, more, and be more efficient than that. Yeah, no was, doubt about it. And it's kind of kind of goes into the the article. Did you guys see the uh, ESPN article of the 20 games that uh, won the spread? And I know that Kevin Wilson was named in that uh, kind of that thread as well with Bill Conley from ESPN uh, and all the work that he's done. But it, it, it was fascinating. There was a couple of OU games that was on that list. It was the exact opposite of what that 2002 Cotton Bowl was. That was the happiest typing I've ever seen from Kerry Murdoch. Like he was, he was joy. He was taking real joy in the Kevin someone, Wilson I mean, love. From someone, Bill someone actually didn't need me to point them in the in the right direction to make one of the most glaring. I would say, because I mean, it drove me crazy last year seeing Joe Brady, Joe Brady, Joe Brady, Joe Brady. Like Kevin Wilson is literally an offensive guru that that has just been forgotten. Because Do you think it's because, just because of Indiana? It's because of Indiana, yeah. but he's also let him. I I don't know. Like he's let himself get screwed over at Ohio State because they didn't want to lose Ryan Day, so he got the job. Uh, and then they brought in they brought in uh, what's his name Yursich, who's now at Texas, and then Yursich became the passing game coordinator. So it's like you have Kevin Wilson. Like you don't need Mike Yursich as a passing game coordinator. Some of those comments that he had about uh, what he was going to do with Gresham and taking Brody off the field and moving fast. Like, I literally read those, Kerry, and it was almost like Kevin Wilson was was reading them to me. I could hear him saying <laughs> word for word everything that was in those quotes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Kevin deserves, you know, to be just an offensive coordinator on his own, uh, a hired gun, if you will. I don't know that he's built to be a head coach. I'm sure he would love another opportunity. I have talked to him recently, um, but I, I do know that he would love it if you know someone wanted to hire him to be their offensive coordinator and and pay him a whole bunch of money. I mean, like that was like LSU. That should have been their move. You lose Joe Brady, go get Kevin Wilson. He's like yep. third man on the totem pole there now. Oh, and for I mean that—that's the thing. Like you, you kind of said it, and I know how you meant it, but I don't—I don't want people to misunderstand it. He doesn't deserve to be the offensive coordinator. He should be the guy that every major program in the country calls when they want to fix their offense. Yeah. Like, hey, we're, we're right. Like where LSU was two years ago. You know, like we're, we we need you to come in and get us right. You shouldn't have to go to the NFL and hunt down Joe Brady, which obviously that worked out fine. No, no diss on that hire because it obviously went really well. But like if you. A perfect example, I'm not a perfect example because I would think even a bigger program than this, but say Matt Rule had stayed at Baylor and they were like, okay, last year defensively we were great. Our offense was kind of a shit show. Why don't we go get Kevin Wilson, pay him an obscene amount of money to come be our coordinator and let's let him fix the offense for a couple of years and then – you like know, if Lincoln Riley ever program. got to the point where he was like, look, I just need to have an offensive coordinator, yeah. that would be the perfect person for him to call. Because he and Lincoln Riley together would come up with some crazy-ass shit. That's scary. <laughs> I, 
And I, you know, I don't want to leave Bill Beatonbow out of it, but I mean, oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, that that's a lot of coaching talent in one room. Oh, Lincoln Jesus. Riley, Bill Beatonbow, and Kevin Wilson. I mean, that that's some pretty. I mean, and plus, sound minds. Plus, you have Bill Beatonbow, O line guy, Kevin Wilson, O line guy, and then you have offensive coordinator Kevin Wilson, offensive coordinator Lincoln Riley. I mean, God, that would be a. This is this is this is the best idea we've come up with since. <laughs> Putting all those linemen on the field that got everybody excited. Remember? When oh, we that, that was that was that was going to be great. <laughs> right, not to mention the uh, the, the venom package. We had the venom, the venom package. package. Yeah. <laughs> they just need to start using our ideas. I'm I know. Sure. I don't know why they don't listen. Maybe, to us. maybe that's gotta... the problem. We need to start focusing on the defensive side of the ball instead of the offensive <laughs> side. Yeah. We keep trying to fix something that's absolutely not broken. <laughs> So it's uh, I don't know. I I, I feel like uh, been positive. I, I feel right. like everything's moving in a good pace. What's going to be interesting is once these schools start letting everybody get back to campus. I did see that OU kind of put out a uh, a an a, opening a, phase, a, like a three four step or phase yeah. plan as far as getting people back to campus for the summer. And uh, I think Oklahoma State's even gone as far as saying. They're going to have in class, or they're planning on having in class uh, for the second session of summer school. So that will, uh, I think, you know, again, I think I talked about it last week. May 31st, June 1st is kind of my next big decision day for a lot of these conferences. Maybe someday we'll, maybe someday we'll all pod together again in the same room. You got to think within this month, we're going to find out if reopening the state was the right move or not it i feel pretty mixed so far but i don't want to talk too too much about that and get people too fired up but <laughs> that's all right we already just, did that in the first 15 minutes of the pod i'm sure good well good and then, I, I, the other I, I bomb wanna... wasn't here moment was is roy is uh roy manning did we talk about the lick the liquidation sale no the... <laughs> i mean we kind of talked about that in our little war room last night it's it's I, I it's, mean, it's definitely a, it's a direct shot at somebody, isn't it? Is it Texas? Well, I think it, it's all those schools that are cleaning up right now during Tennessee. this pan- pandemic, and then so it'd have to realizing... be like Tennessee. Uh... Yeah, I don't think it's Ohio State, but like Tennessee, like U- USC. Now that Texas is getting into it, I, when you've got like Boston College people chirping that they're ranked higher than OU and. You got a lot of people speaking out of turn right now, and I think that's all Roy Manning was really trying to say. You just wait. All cleared given. Everything will return the way that it's that it's supposed to. Well, and with him, doesn't it have to be more defensive, wouldn't you think? Talking about defensive oh, recruits, sure. maybe? Sure, sure, absolutely. And, you know, the thing got – and we always talk to people, you know, where they're like, well, why would they pick – Tennessee over Oklahoma or whatever. Roy Manning, and I I thought it was a funny comment, and I said the same to you guys last night, but I think it's really insightful into what these kids focus their brains on that maybe some of our listeners and, you know, readers on the site can kind of wrap their head around examples we've tried to give before. Manning's talking about it, and he says something like, you know, just check the numbers, check the stats, check all this. You know, he's, and you're thinking he's about to go into all their Big 12 titles and uh, national championships and all the All-Americans and that sort of stuff. He's like, we're a Jordan school. There's only like five of them. 
if that it sounds funny even to my ears like i'll admit it like and i know what these kids are looking yes I mean, it, I, it you know. made you it made you think that there's somebody out there telling them that they're getting ready to be a jordan school or something like yeah and it just said like it wasn't look at all the success we've had on the field it was look at this thing that frankly is superfluous but it matters to the kids that's what you've got to pitch whatever works now there are times I wonder if Oklahoma goes to that well a little too often with the Jordan stuff. Like, I, I don't know that it, it resonates the way they think it does. But at the same time, they're not saying it if they're not getting any feedback on it. So it, there's clearly some reason. It does feel weird, to too, because we used to, uh, OU fans, quote-unquote, used to make fun of Oregon, OSU, for all the uniform things, all their combinations. Yep. Uh, Jordan's? Not too far off from just saying it's another brand of uniform, and now OU fans are all in on it and l- loving it. Not hypocritical necessarily, but just sort of interesting. Well, oh, is there? A- I remember. <laughs> I remember getting into it with a high school coaching buddy of mine um, that I think a couple of you guys have met. That we were that he was. I was asking him. I said, "Man, this you know this kid just picked." Oregon over Oklahoma and I don't really understand it and blah 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 and he was like man you don't get it man these kids they don't care about you know like it's not the the winning or what they did 20 years ago nobody gives a shit no none of these kids care at all Oregon has all the cool uniforms and the helmets and they do all this stuff they're very flashy and it catches the kids attention he goes it doesn't matter a big 12 title five years ago is irrelevant like they, they don't care and I I've, I I kind of was like, no, I don't – and this was 10, 12 years ago. This was a while ago. But now I, I was like, I was wrong. I mean, I was just wrong, and, and that's that's where this is. Well, it's kind of it, – it's a little bit about, you know, like the five-star stuff we were talking about where you just browbeat kids to death uh, because you don't want them having that attitude that they're special or better than anybody else. Like, that was probably a negative, and you can – I mean, you can just – you know the coaches that were involved. It was the old school guys. I mean, whether it was Bobby yep. Jack or Jackie Ship or whoever. I mean, like Brent was always a guy that could handle that stuff really well and didn't didn't let it you know get to him and used it the right way. But yeah, I mean, there, there was kind of a crotchety, crotchety old man syndrome kind of sinking in. I think there, uh, you know, in the late two thousand, late to mid mid to late two thousands. Uh, and, you know, Lincoln, he knows he can't change the uniforms. I mean, he's got the Rough Riders, which, let's face it, with everything that's going on, I don't think OU is going to be that focused on bringing out new alternates this year. Uh, they're just, you know, they're everybody's in a financial distress right now. So I don't expect to see a whole lot of changes there. But Lincoln knows that to compete with Oregon and all that stuff, they're not going to be able to have weird helmets and uniforms and stuff like that or even Oklahoma State, but what they can do is do the Jordan brand thing. I mean, it's not what they wear on the field. It's what they wear off the field and to work out, and and that is how they kind of do their Oregon thing now. So, yeah, maybe, maybe they overplay it a little bit, but that's what they're really good at, at figuring out what they have to work with and using that to their advantage. Sure. And, and like Josh said, if they weren't getting feedback from players that this is something that, uh, you know, is, is striking a nerve or a chord with a lot of guys, I don't think they'd be pushing it as much. And it is something that 
you know, let's be honest, they're one of five schools that can push that. So why not use that to your advantage? And, uh, you know, I certainly think that if they have this type of summer and uh, I guess fall in the recruiting world, like I think a lot of people think they possibly could, it's going to pay off in the end. Yeah, I you know, and to just kind of for people that are looking at the rankings and, oh, no, this, this is bad. About two weeks ago, somebody in our weekly board chat, someone always asked me, you know, what do you, what do you kind of see the team rankings looking like at the end of the year? And don't get me wrong, I'm guessing. I'm having to assemble a whole class in my head on the fly like it's a guess. I had about five to seven because I think they're going to get a couple of elite guys that, that, that you kind of have to have to move into that, that area. And somebody asked me again last week, you know, or this week, that, that, did you change that? I mean, do you feel differently? I still think it's about five to seven, but if you made me guess if I was going to be high or low on that, and you said, okay, it's got to be one or the other, you got to go above or below, I would pick below. I think they're more likely to have a top four class than they are to be like eight to 12. Like, I, I just think there are too many good pieces that are very high on Oklahoma right now. And I, they need to get Caleb Williams on board because I feel like that's the kind of, it's almost like the dam. Like once that breaks, I feel like a bunch of other guys, and, and not just for OU, but all these chips start falling kind of in all these different directions. And it may result in, okay, a couple guys go to Tennessee. Okay, well, then a couple guys are going to pick Florida. And then a couple guys, it's a, it's a domino effect that you can't exactly see all of it. But to me, he is so clearly the most high-profile guy that everyone's kind of waiting on right now um, that I, I think you'll you'll see, see things start to kind of come to fruition pretty quickly for a lot of schools once he makes his choice. Josh, the one question I do have, because I think it's all going to come together offensively, can Caleb Williams have an impact on defense, or is that just too crazy to say? No, I, I think he absolutely can. I mean, you know, we've um, – I talk. I, 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 there's one interview I do every week that always runs long. And far as me turning it around, and this week it's Kelvin Gilliam. I talked to him late last Thursday night, and I just keep like we have the Stutzman thing come up, and there's just always something else. But I need to finish that because he raved about his, his virtual visit. He loved it much. I mean, almost to a T. The same things that I heard Danny Stutzman talk about, and we and we talked about him a little bit earlier, Bob. I know you weren't there for that, but. It was kind of the – that that actually wasn't nice. a shot at Bob. That just I just wanted to like, – nice. in case Bob was like, we got to cover that. Um, but, no, a lot of the same, like, I can't believe how personalized it was. It was very much geared at he and his mother. Um, his mother is military, and so they had – you know, Danny Stutzman talked about, like, loving old cars, and so they had arranged, like, a bunch of old cars on the field. Well, for her, it was more like – ambulance and medical and police and like a lot of that kind of stuff because that's kind of her background so it was very interesting how they both kind of made that fit and just um you know for kelvin he is a big cowboys fan so oklahoma now has the added bonus of cd lamb and neville gallimore and all that kind of hype and how well that fits for them and obviously you know being a somewhat local team to the Cowboys. So there was just a lot of pitch they made to him. And so I think that's um, that's a good example of someone you could see paying off. Now, Caleb Williams out there tweeting at Corey Foreman and Mason Smith and some of the really top ten defensive guys in the country. Do I think he's going to go close them? No. No, I don't. Do I think he could help and maybe Oklahoma gets a visit out of one of those guys? Sure. I think that's possible. Because um, I think – 
he is very, very, very active. He understands, and I don't think all quarterbacks do. I think Brock Vandegrift's a good example. I don't know that Brock didn't understand or Brock just is not wired that way. But he, Brock was never going to be the guy burning up the phone lines and in everybody's DMs and trying to that, – that's just not the way he is. Caleb, as soon as he commits to wherever he commits to, he will become the 11th staff member. I, I would almost bet money on it. He will be recruiting a lot of different people. All right. Um, I think uh, unless you guys got anything to hit on you want to get on before we get out of here? I, I did actually have one thing. I know we, we dick around a lot in this kind of stuff, but I wanted to, uh, you know, just kind of mention Woofy, our, our longtime board member, going through some things. Um, don't want to put it all out there. He, you know, he's a board member, uh, you know, but definitely going through some health concerns, and we were kind of thinking of him and yeah. he's doing all right. Yeah, and I know he's he's been doing a lot of traveling, um, trying to take care of business, and it's tough and, and love seeing him still being active on the boards and giving us updates and what's going on. And just to, everybody loves that dude and uh, hope to see good things for, for Woofie moving forward. So I appreciate that. We appreciate everybody being a part of uh, the Soonerscoop.com family and community. Uh, thanks for, uh, you know, I know it's tough on everyone out there. We've told you guys this before. Uh, if you have any, you know, issues with uh, subscribing, uh, or, you know, times are tough, uh, let us know. Hit up Josh Josh at Sooner Scoop or Murdoch at Soonerscoop.com, and uh, we'll do whatever we can to try and help you guys right now uh, if you're going through some, some hard times. So uh, we don't want to lose anybody during this, and uh, we're hoping that things get started up. It looks like uh, we're heading in the right direction finally, and hope we, hopefully we keep heading in that direction, and hope you guys stay safe out there. Uh, and your family stay safe and can't wait till a time when everybody can get out and get back together and, and uh, see each other face to face. So uh, we'll just keep doing the podcast each and every week. And we enjoy getting together and talking to you guys about everything that we're going through and uh, everything newsworthy to talk about in uh, OU land. So uh, appreciate y'all listening in. And uh, we'll see you guys right back here next week for another edition of the Unofficial 40 podcast from Soonerscoop.com.